Well, I must tell you tonight that we have a spooktacular show on uh, CITR. This is the Halloween edition of The Jazz Show. And we've got some uh, scary stuff to, uh, to come up and some funny stuff, too. And uh, we hope that you're enjoying All Hallows' Eve and uh, all the things that go along with it. Interestingly enough, it was um, when I was a kid, that's when I enjoyed Halloween the most. But Halloween has become much more an adult holiday um, over the years. And, uh, of course, people go to elaborate lengths, spend uh, ridiculous amounts of money to uh, party and, and dress up. But it's uh, it's all in fun, and, and uh, I certainly wish everybody uh, a really good time if you're out doing that and if you're at home. Listening to the radio and listening to the jazz show, I certainly you know, hope that uh, you'll enjoy the music we present this evening. My name's Gavin Walker, and we're here every Monday night with some of the very best in jazz music. We have a couple of birthdays to celebrate a little later on in the show, and both of these guys are great tenor saxophonists. One is Jean-Baptiste Illinois Jaquette. Illinois Jaquette, one of the foremost tenor saxophone players of the 20th century and a great, great musician, sometimes very underrated as well. And another great musician born today, tenor saxophonist Booker Irvin, born in Denison, Texas. Booker died quite young. Uh, he was only 39 when he died of... Um, a severe kidney ailment in uh, 1970. But he was one of the great voices of the tenor saxophone and one of the most distinctive of all tenor saxophonists. He was also Charles Mingus's favorite tenor saxophone player, Booker Irwin. And uh, we're going to hear music a little later on the show by both of these uh, incredible gentlemen and incredible exponents of the tenor saxophone. But our jazz feature tonight is what kicks everything off. And it's an album by one of the most incredible jazz drummers. Now, I'm talking about Joseph Rudolph Jones, better known as Philly Joe Jones. And the reason he was known as Philly Joe, he was born in Philadelphia, of course, but the reason he chose that nickname, which stayed with him for his whole life, was that um, he didn't want to be confused with the great and much older Count Basie drummer, Joe Jones, who was actually referred to as Papa Joe Jones. So people would confuse the names, and, and of course, Philly Joe wanted to be distinctive, as distinctive with his name as he is with his style. And, uh, of course, he came up in a different era. And Philly Joe Jones became Philly Joe Jones. He became famous, really, when he associated, and he did so for many years, with Miles Davis. Um, he was with Miles during the lean years of Miles Davis's career in the mid-50s when Miles kind of was had a lot of personal problems and and so on, and Miles was still playing gigs, and Philly Joe would scout for him 
um, and pick up local musicians from different towns that they would travel to. And Philly knew everybody. So he would find the best musicians, put them together, and they would have a makeshift band for the duration of the gig. But when Miles Davis um, made up his mind to form his own band, which he did in 1955 with John Coltrane, who was a Philly Joe Jones suggestion, too, by the way, and Paul Chambers and Red Garland, Philly Joe Jones became the drummer with Miles Davis's first great quintet. And that's when he really rose to, to prominence and also was in much in demand when uh, the Miles Davis band had time off. Philly Joe was in tremendous demand as a recording sideman on all kinds of important record dates. Philly Joe left Miles um, in 1957 and freelanced and later rejoined Miles in the latter part of 1957 for another six or so months and, of course, made some significant recording albums with Mr. Davis and uh, then left him for good for his own uh, career. Philly Joe has literally been on uh, hundreds of jazz albums. He was the drummer of choice by so many musicians. He was on many, many classic albums. He made some albums under his own name. And although none of them are classics, they're all excellent. They're all very high standard. And this particular one we're going to listen to this evening is a real good one. And it was recorded in, the, in September of 1958, and Philly Joe picked the band and uh, put them together for this um, recording session, which is called Blues for Dracula. And there's a reason for that, and I'll tell you about that, and it makes it most appropriate that our jazz feature is this album because it's Halloween. All right. The first part of the album is fairly straight-ahead session. Philly Joe on drums with the great Chicago tenor saxophonist, the little giant, Johnny Griffin, and another fellow Chicagoan, trombonist Julian Priester, who is still with us. And I think the man who steals the show, as far as all the horns are concerned, as spectacular as Griffin is and, and Priester is, Nat Adderley, Julian Cannonball Adderley's little brother, really steals the show. Um, on all of these tracks. His playing is incredibly um, forceful and fun to listen to, and uh, he really stands out. Nat Adderley, I think, is the real star of this session, along with the rest of the band, of course. On piano, the poet of the piano, Tommy Flanagan, and on bass, a young man who is just uh, really beginning his career. He went on to become the bassist with John Coltrane's classic quartet. I'm talking about Jimmy Garrison on bass. The reason this is called Blues for Dracula, and we're saving that particular track for the very end. Philly Joe was a character, not only one of the world's greatest drummers, but a character. And there's tons of Philly Joe stories. He was also a great tap dancer, which accounted for his 
very complex style on the drums because he took a lot of his ideas from from his own ability to tap dance. Same thing, right, except you're doing it with your feet. And um, also, Philly Joe um, was a very funny man, and he did uh, imitations of people. And one of his great imitations was his imitation of Bela Lugosi. And he could do a, um, a great Bela Lugosi imitation. And sometimes uh, on gigs, he would never do this with Miles Davis, but on his own gigs, he, he, he would grab the microphone and do one of his Bela Lugosi imitations and, of course, crack everybody up. And it, made every, it put everybody at ease so that, that they could listen to the music. So he does this on the very last tune, and that's why this album is called Blues for Dracula. All right, the tunes we're going to hear, and I gave you the personnel, um, Philly Joe Jones on drums, Johnny Griffin, tenor saxophone, uh, Julian Priester on trombone, Nat Adderley on cornet, Tommy Flanagan on piano, and Jimmy Garrison on bass. The first tune is a Philly Joe arrangement of an Owen Marshall composition. Owen Marshall was a young uh, Philadelphia composer, and he composed the first tunes called Trick Street. The second tune is another Philly Joe Jones arrangement uh, of a Cal Massey composition called Fiesta. Cal Massey was another Philadelphia composer. And Philly Joe was um, not only a, a, a great drummer, he was also an extremely competent pianist and arranger. He could do a, a lot of things musically. All right, so we hear Trick Street and Fiesta. Tune number three is the up-tempo burner of the whole set, and it's a good one. Eddie Cleanhead Vincent wrote the tune, although Miles Davis gets the credit, the composer credit. Uh, Cleanhead Vincent is the real writer of a great tune called Tune Up, and it's the first cousin of Coltrane's Giant Steps. The tune number four was written by Dizzy Gillespie, and it's a classic. It's called Owl. Now, tune number five is the title track, and it's called Blues for Dracula. The actual tune was written by Johnny Griffin and also has another title called Purple Shades. On this tune, you hear Philly Joe do his Bella Lugosi imitation. We save it for the last, and, uh, of course, he's playing the drums on it, but the, uh, the voice is overdubbed, and it is very funny and amusing. So we hope you enjoy that and uh, our feature album for Halloween, Blues for Dracula, with the Billy Joe Jones Ensemble. And we begin with Trick Street. <laughs>
Welcome. Permit me to introduce myself. I am called Dracula. I am really the bebop vampire. I like the sun. I like the sun to shine. Drink. We must all drink. Everybody must drink. Today on the market we got instant blood for you to drink. I want you all to drink. Ah, that's it. That's good. That's good. Drink, drink. Quench, quench your thirst. Quench your thirst. Good. Children, you over there, drink your soup before it clots. Put the children to bed. Uh, children, uh, drink your blood and bite your mama good night. Bite your mama good night. Put two more marks on your mama's jugular lane. Go away. Go away for the moment. Let me do my work. Go away. Go away. You know I must do my work. I must do my experiments. Go away. I will find a victim. Don't worry. I shall find a victim. Dracula will find a victim. Are you looking strange? You're not a vampire. I am a vampire, not you. If you don't stay away, I will take your ukulele, and then you'll become a vampire. If you become a vampire, you will understand. Don't worry. Bela, Bela will return. Bela shall come back. Master, Master, those strange sounds. What are those strange sounds, Master? Don't worry, Chuba. The children of the night make such beautiful music. Thank you. 
what are you doing here with the children again? I children, go, go in the belfry and play with the bats. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Our Halloween special. Of course, a, a wonderful straight-ahead recording by the incredible drummer, Philly Joe Jones. And, of course, he put together that ensemble. And Philly Joe didn't make a whole lot of records under his own name. He appeared on so many classic albums with Miles Davis and so many other people. He was one of the most uh, uh, widely recorded jazz drummers of uh, his era. But uh, his own albums were pretty damn good, too, and this was one of them. And, of course, this is uh, uh, a classic album. And he put together this wonderful band um, with Johnny Griffin, the Chicago Fire on tenor saxophone, Julian Priester on trombone, of course, who was also from Chicago. He was a schoolmate of Johnny Griffin's. Julian is still very much with us, too. And Tommy Flanagan, the late, great Tommy Flanagan on piano, Jimmy Garrison on bass. And for me, the star of the horn section was the late and wonderful Nat Adderley on cornet. Cannonball Adderley's little brother. And um, he obviously had a great time at this recording session. All of this was done for Riverside Records on September 17, 1958. And uh, Joe, of course, was uh, at that time at the height of his uh, career after uh, doing a couple of uh, 10 years with Miles Davis and, of course, doing so many uh, albums. on his own, and of course this one uh, under his own name. The tunes, and we saved the best for the last, of course. Uh, The first tune was written by a young composer from Philadelphia by the name of Owen Marshall, and it was called Trick Street. The second tune was written by another uh, very fine composer from Philadelphia. He also played the trumpet. Cal Massey wrote the second tune, and it was arranged, of course, as the first one was by Philly Joe. Uh, Tune number two was called Fiesta. Tune number three showed off how great this band was, and, of course, this tune is always a a challenge to improvise on. It's the first cousin to uh, Coltrane's Giant Steps um, harmonically, and it was written by Eddie Cleanhead Vinson, great saxophonist, who were... Actually, we're going to hear a little bit later on on the show by Cleanhead. Um, he wrote uh, so many tunes, and a couple of them were appropriated by Miles Davis, including this one. Uh, but Cleanhead was the uh, real composer of this tune. It's called Tune Up, and that was the up-tempo feature. Tune number three. Tune number four was a classic by Dizzy Gillespie called Ow. And tune number five featured the overdubbed voice of Philly Joe doing his best Bella Lugosi imitation. And, of course, that became Blues for Dracula. The actual composer of the tune was Johnny Griffin, and uh, it did have another title. It was called Purple Shades. So it was a perfect kind of a piece of music for Philly Joe to do his um, Bella Lugosi bit. And uh, so that's our small tribute to Halloween. We're going to continue with some more Halloween music uh, in a moment, and I uh, hope you enjoyed the jazz feature. The album is called Blues for Dracula, and it's, uh, as I said, it came out on the Riverside label originally. 
All right. More Halloween treats. Just like to tell you that you are listening to the Halloween version of the jazz show on CITR FM 101.9. My name's Gavin Walker. We're also on the web, www.citr.ca. And I'm not going to tell you what these three pieces are until we finish playing them. And I hope that you enjoy the music that is going to be played for the next three selections. And it's also our continuing tribute to Halloween. And we're going to start with this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Till death, as she clutched my hand, I knew she was coming, so I stood like a man. She drew up closer, close enough for me to look into her face, and then began to wonder, hadn't I seen her some other place? She beckoned for me to come closer, as if to pay an old debt. I knew what she wanted. It wasn't quite time yet. She threw her arms about me as many women had done before. I heard her whisper, you'll never cheat me, never anymore.
darkness and nothing has clouded my mind. I begin to realize death was nothing to fear, but something sweet and kind. I pinched to see if I was dreaming, but failed to find bodily form. I then began to realize death had worked her charm. Taking myself of nothingness, I chose a road to walk. I noticed death's pleasantness with no one to stop me to talk. I remembered stories of heaven as I visioned the glow ahead. Two roads lay waiting for me to choose one now that I was dead. One road was dark. I could not see clearly up its long, stretched highway. The other road was golden and glowing and shining as bright as day. I then remembered stories of pearly gates, golden streets, or how, however those stories were told. I knew I'd reach heaven on this highway. If not, I'd have the gold. I took one footstep, feeling safe and acting bold. Suddenly, I realized my mistake. My chosen road turned black, bittery, and white, cold. No longer was it golden glory, nor heaven at its end. White hot flames were blazing, I saw the devil with his grin. I had taken but one footstep, so I turned to hurry back. But there a sound more waited through not a door, nor a crack. Finally, coming to my senses, I walked on to my hell. For long before death had called me, my end was planned. Planned, but well.
We just heard a trio of tunes dedicated to Halloween and uh, celebrating tonight, October 31st. And we heard, first of all, a version of Thelonious Monk's Round Midnight, but a very, very different version done by the George Russell Sextet and featuring the lead alto saxophone of Eric Dolphy. And the other people involved here, Don Ellis on trumpet, David Baker on trombone, uh, Steve Swallow playing acoustic bass, and Joe Hunt on drums, and George Russell, of course, on piano, the leader. And uh, I mentioned, of course, the lead uh, voice in that was alto saxophonist Eric Dolphy. And uh, this kind of spooky version of Thelonious Monk's Round Midnight is kind of unique because I, I don't think there's any other version of that tune quite like this, even from Thelonious Monk himself. We moved on to Charles Mingus, who in many ways was a master of music that had a, a surreal edge. And this was um, a piece of music called The Chill of Death. And uh, this was a poem that he wrote, uh, or a, a, a piece of, uh, well, I guess it's a poem, yes, the, the, the Chill of Death. And he narrated, um, it was his voice on there reading the, um, the words to his uh, poem that he wrote when he was about 19 years old. And he also composed the music for a very large orchestra to uh, enhance uh, his spoken word. And then, of course, um, the same piece of music was repeated instrumentally, and the alto saxophone solo over the orchestra was by my good friend, the great, and very much with us, Charles MacPherson. The final piece of music we heard featured the vocal of Loreen Cousins, a rather obscure um, vocalist. But believe me, um, if you were going to sing vocal, uh, uh, do uh, Charles Mingus's music, you had to be pretty accomplished to um, deal with, with his melodies. And she did a very good job on it. Loreen Cousins was the vocalist and the soloist on the piece called Weird Nightmare was uh, the great Yusef Latif on tenor saxophone. And the band included people like Ted Curzon um, on trumpet, uh, Jimmy Nepper on trombone, um, Joe Farrell uh, and Booker Irvin on, on uh, saxophones. And, of course, Yousef was a soloist. Eric Dolphy was the flute player, uh, Roland Hanna on piano, Mingus, of course, on bass, and Danny Richmond on drums. And, as I mentioned before, the vocalist, Lorraine Cousins. Weird nightmare. So a trio of tunes dedicated to Halloween. And I hope you enjoyed that uh, little trip into uh, spooky land. <laughs> Halloween. Yes. All right. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR. My name is Gavin Walker. And, of course, we broadcast 101.9 on your FM dial or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And we'll be right back with, um, actually, 
Um, later on in the show, we're, we're going to be doing tributes to two great saxophone players who were born, tenor saxophone players who were born um, today, October 31st. Uh, one of them is the great Illinois Jacquette, and the other one is the equally great Booker Irwin. And uh, Booker was born on this day in Denison, Texas, and Illinois Jacquette was born in Broussard, Louisiana. And we'll be hearing both their voices a little later on in the show. But somebody who had a birthday yesterday was the late, great trumpeter Clifford Brown, Ill-fated, died in a car accident, age 26. An amazing musician. We're going to hear Clifford at his best with the um, Clifford Brown Max Roach Quintet uh, in a very few moments. And we'll be right back with that after some significant messages. So some Clifford Brown coming up. Are you interested in human rights and social justice? Come check out Amnesty International UBC. We fight to stop human rights violations all over the world, including here in Canada. Our club hosts letter writing sessions, social events, documentary nights, bar fundraisers, and current events discussions on a bi-weekly basis. So keep your ears open and check out our Amnesty International UBC Facebook page for more information. We look forward to promoting human rights with you. UBC's Museum of Anthropology displays long-term and visiting exhibits of indigenous art from around the world, and guided tours are free. Our permanent collection features one of the world's finest exhibits of Northwest Coast First Nations art. Our collection includes 36,000 ethnographic pieces, 535,000 archaeological pieces, and over 600 pieces in the Kroner Ceramics Gallery. There's a lot to take in. Luckily at the Museum of Anthropology, final exams are always take home. If you've never checked out this world-class facility, now's your chance. The Museum of Anthropology is located right on campus and free for all UBC students and faculty. Come enjoy our collection and resources. Well, we got some weather for you. And uh, tonight, well, it was pretty nice for the, uh, especially for the kids that were out there trick-or-treating. And um, it was just cloudy. Later on tonight, there'll be a 30% chance of a shower overnight and uh, with a low of 9. And then tomorrow, a few showers uh, in the morning and then some heavier rain uh, later on in the afternoon and evening with a low of 9 and a high of 11. We can't get away from rain because uh, more is going to be happening on Wednesday. Rain and windy with a low of 9 and a high of 12. Thursday appears to be without precipitation, which is good, with a low of 11, high of 14. Uh, we're back to rain again on Friday with a low of 10 and a high of 13. And Saturday and Sunday, uh, cloudy 
both days, cloudy with a 60% chance of a shower with a low of 9 and highs between 13 and 14. Hardly tropical, but uh, very typical for uh, early November. Yes. So... Last night, I left the bar. I was thirsty, and I don't drink wine. I was desperate. I needed blood. I turned to the only place I could. The only place that could possibly help me. Hello, Canadian Blood Services. Hello. I need some blood. A. Positive or negative, it doesn't matter. I'm sorry, we're all out of A positive and negative. Would you like some O instead? No. No, that won't do. Thank you. Good night. Save me. Save yourself. Give blood. Voluntarily. This message was brought to you courtesy of the Canadian Blood Services and CITR Radio 101.9 FM. Yes, of course, 101.9 is uh, the station you're listening to. Now we're going to continue some music with a bit of a belated birthday tribute to the late, great Clifford Brown, born in Wilmington, Delaware. And of course, Clifford's trumpet stylings was really... Uh, It was so sad when he was taken from us in a a terrible car accident. And we lost one of the major voices of the trumpet. And, of course, he was such an influence on people like Freddie Hubbard, uh, Woody Shaw, Lee Morgan, and so many other trumpet players. Clifford Brown was a true inspiration. As a matter of fact, I remember talking with Sonny Rollins and uh, uh, Clifford Sonny said that Clifford was an example to him as a human being. Sonny had had uh, a bout of drug addiction and so on in in the 50s and was running around uh, dealing with that. Of course, he he got over it, but he was still uh, remembering. But he said it was the strength and conviction and just the personality of Clifford Brown that that kept him from um, thinking about uh, ever going back to that lifestyle. Clifford Brown um, was never, uh, he was an example of a very, very fine human being who could be a major musician without uh, resorting to um, drugs, alcohol, any of that kind of stuff. Clifford Brown was a real straight up young man and it was so sad that he was taken from us at a very young age. But we're gonna hear an example of some of his finest playing with one of the greatest bands in modern jazz history, and that was the Max Roach Clifford Brown Quintet. The people involved here, Clifford Brown, of course, on trumpet, Max Roach, one of the great, all-time great drummers, and with Sonny Rollins on tenor saxophone, Richie Powell on piano, who was Bud Powell's younger brother. Richie was also killed in that same car accident with Clifford Brown. They were on their way to a gig. Um, And George Morrill, wonderful bass player who kept everything together with that band. A very strong and um, powerful bass player, because you have to be to play with someone like Max Roach. We're going to hear two tunes. 
they're both standard tunes, and th- they're both um, alternate takes of... Um, there, are, there are other versions uh, on this album called Clifford Brown and Max Roach at Basin Street. It wasn't recorded at Basin Street, the club. It was recorded during their engagement there, but it was recorded in the studio, not at the club. So the title is a bit of a misnomer, but it's a very famous album. But we're going to hear two alternate takes of uh, two of the tunes that are on the original album. And as I said, they're standard tunes. The first one was written by Cole Porter, and it's called What Is This Thing Called Love? And it's a band arrangement of that tune. And the second tune is a jazz standard written by Ray and DePaul that uh, every jazz musician worth his salt uh, could play forwards and backwards. And the tune is I'll Remember April. So here then, the Clifford Brown, Max Roach, Quintet at their very best. Thank you. 
Take three.
Clifford Brown and Max Roach, of course, Clifford Brown on trumpet, who today, or yesterday, October 30th, would have been celebrating his 89th birthday, and he probably would have been still alive because he led a very healthy lifestyle. Sad to say, he was taken from us at age 26 in a car crash, and we lost one of the greatest voices of the trumpet, and of course, we heard two prime examples of Clifford's trumpet playing on these two tracks with the Clifford Brown Max Roach Quintet. Clifford on trumpet, Max Roach on drums, of course, Sonny Rollins on tenor saxophone, Richie Powell on piano, and George Morrow on bass. Recorded in New York City, both of these were um, alternative takes that were not on the original uh, album of Clifford Brown and Max Roach at Basin Street. As I mentioned before, it's a, the title is a bit of a misnomer. It wasn't recorded at Basin Street. It was recorded during their engagement there. Basin Street was one of the most uh, prominent jazz clubs in New York, an upscale uh, jazz club for a change. <laughs> and uh, they had an engagement there, but they brought the band into studio to record this album and we heard two standard tunes, both uh, sort of head arrangements of the bands. First tune was uh, Cole Porter's What Is This Thing Called Love, and the second tune was written by Ray and DePaul. Of course, the standard tune, I'll Remember April. Clifford Brown. Mm-hmm. Before we get into our two prominent saxophone players that were born on this day, I'd just like to remind you that you are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker. This is The Jazz Show. And we heard a tune that I said was appropriated by Miles Davis earlier on in the jazz feature, a tune called Tune Up. And actually it was written by a blues singer and an alto saxophonist who was no slouch on either, whether he sung 
or whether he played the alto saxophone. A most respected gentleman who wrote a couple of great tunes, and he was never given credit for them. Uh, his name, Eddie Cleanhead Vincent. So we're going to hear him sing along with the Cannonball Adderley Quintet with Nat on cornet and uh, Julian Adderley, Cannonball on alto saxophone, Joe Zavanul on piano, Sam Jones on bass, and Louis Hayes on drums. We're going to hear um, Eddie Cleanhead Vincent sing on the first tune, and the second tune is an original composition by him, and he is going to be featured on the alto saxophone. And you can hear Cannonball Adderley held Eddie Cleanhead Vincent in the highest respect, as most musicians did. Um, he wasn't uh, just a, a primitive blues guy. He could really play the saxophone. And you can hear um, how he influenced Cannonball Adderley because, um, well, I'll just give you a great example of his saxophone playing. So, first piece he's going to sing for you, and it's called The Backdoor Blues. And it's funny. And the second tune is the instrumental tune called Arriving Soon. And, of course, he's featured on alto saxophone. All right, so here he is, Eddie Cleanhead Vincent. Check him out.
I'm sure that would make a, a good blindfold test for uh, some astute musician to guess who the alto saxophonist was. Um, he was a great influence on Cannonball Adderley, but it wasn't Cannonball. It was Cannonball's band, but um, Adderley wasn't playing on the last tune. That was Eddie Cleanhead Vinson on alto saxophone, and we heard him vocalizing on the first tune, the fun, a funny piece of music that he wrote called The Backdoor Blues. <laughs> he ain't going to go there no more. <laughs> she was married. And um, that featured Eddie with the Cannonball Adderley Quintet. And, and actually, Cannonball was playing the saxophone on the first tune, but he wasn't on the second tune, which was an, um, an instrumental written by Eddie Vinson and called, uh, the piece of music was called Arriving Soon. And that featured uh, a clean head on alto saxophone, Nat Adderley, of course, on cornet and the rhythm section, Joe Zavinol on piano, Sam Jones on bass, and Lewis Hayes on drums. And that's from a, actually a very rare album called The Backdoor Blues. And there's more from that album. We'll hear it on uh, future shows. I'd like to play more from this album because uh, Eddie Cleanhead Vincent was... Uh, underrated musician. He um, was with us from 1917 until 1988, and um, he was kind of one of those overlooked, uh, incredible musicians that uh, he played in all kinds of different bands and, and so on, but uh, Cannonball decided to uh, bring him back to the fore uh, on this album, and uh, unfortunately, it's, it's a really hard one to find. We'll hear more from that album um, later on. And... Uh, it's all good stuff. We'll hear more examples of his singing and more examples of his playing. All right. As I mentioned before, you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. Before we get into our tribute to the great Illinois Jaquette, i just like, like to mention, as I usually do around this time, uh, two great websites to check out. One of them is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. That's coastaljazz.ca. They have the complete schedule for Frankie's uh, Jazz Club down on Beattie Street. You can uh, purchase um, tickets. You can make reservations. You can do all that kind of stuff uh, on that website and find out who's playing and who you want to hear. There's lots of stuff coming up there, and it is... I guarantee a really, really fine club. And um, I was there on the weekend, and it was uh, a most enjoyable experience to hear Willie Jones III and his band from New York. It was quite something. So um, Frankie's Jazz Club on Beattie Street, right across the street from um, BC Place, and um, easily accessible by SkyTrain, of course, and... Um, uh, you know, there is parking around there, uh, as difficult as it may seem. Uh, there is plenty of parking, plenty of parking lots, and so on and so forth. Really fine club. And um, as I said, you can access everything on the uh, website of the Coastal Jazz and Blue Society's website, which is coastaljazz.ca. And, of course, they have some independent shows coming up outside of Frankie's. And uh, it's a comprehensive website. The other wonderful website is the uh, website of that's um, put together by Brian Nation, keeps it up to date, and that's VancouverJazz.com, and there's all kinds of good links on that website. So CoastalJazz.ca is one, 
VancouverJazz.com is the other. And uh, one more thing, I'd like to mention my good friend Ken Speller, who is a music teacher, has a business called Music at Home. He also repairs musical instruments, and uh, he can give you great advice on what to rent or buy or anything like that. Um, he is a wonderful repairman. He's located uh, in the Metrotown area of Burnaby, and if you have something wrong with your horn, whether you're a professional, amateur, student, whatever, um, Ken will fix it up for you and not charge you an arm and a leg um, because he has his workshop right in his home. So if you play a reed instrument, the saxophone, the flute, or the clarinet, uh, he's your man. And, of course, if you want lessons, he's also your man because he's a fine musician himself and a wonderful teacher. Lived in Japan for many years and taught and played over there. And um, he's a man of uh, great versatility and great experience. And he can be reached at 778-800-1933. That's the phone. 778-800-1933 or K Speller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. K Speller underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. Good man to know. And of course, there's uh, always wonderful music down at Pat's Pub, which is located in the old Patricia Hotel in the downtown east side. On Saturdays, they have other events there. You can check out the schedule, but they have a regular jazz event every Saturday. Different people playing there, and it's free. No admission, and very comfortable space, and good parking. Uh, it's quite safe down there. Um, so if you have any misgivings about the area, forget it, because it really is quite safe down there. And the... And, um, the Space itself inside the hotel is really nice. Pat's Pub. So make it a point to check it out if you haven't been there before. They have, the music starts at 3 and goes on to 7 every Saturday afternoon. Illinois Jaquette was born on this day, October 31st, in Broussard, Louisiana. An extremely talented man, born in 1922. On October 31st, Jean-Baptiste Illinois Jaquette came from a musical family and uh, was uh, basically a young prodigy. And he recorded at age 18 one of the most famous tenor saxophone solos in music, period. He was 18 years old when he played the solo on this with the Lionel Hampton Orchestra. A whole bunch of great people in the band, including a very young Dexter Gordon. But it's Illinois solo, Illinois Jaquette solo, that made this piece. And, of course, it became the theme song for Lionel Hampton, and he was obligated to play this during <laughs> every performance. But this solo by Illinois Jaquette, 18-year-old uh, Illinois Jaquette, as I said, is one of the most imitated and one of the most famous tenor saxophone solos in the history of jazz music. And here it is, Lionel Hampton's band and Flying Home.
Lionel Hampton, and of course his very famous and the first recorded version of his great tune, Flying Home, which became his theme song. And of course, uh, there is the beginning, right there, of Rhythm and Blues, which of course was the antecedent of what we know today as rock and roll. 1942, and that tenor saxophone solo on there by the great gentleman who we're paying tribute to right now, Illinois Jaquette, recorded in New York City, May 26, 1942, many years ago. All right. Now we're going to hear a couple of pieces um, from a later period. Illinois Jaquette became, of course, extremely famous and um, was one of the most prominent uh, tenor saxophonists on the scene. And he wasn't adverse to, to uh, showmanship either and um, uh, honking, and, and uh, he had great command of the instrument. He could play way up in the, in the freak high register and, and do all kinds of stuff. Um, and because of his predilection for occasionally uh, being a bit of a showboat, um, the snobby jazz critics um, were very critical of Monsieur Jacquet, uh, and they forgot to mention that he was also one of the finest musicians on the, on the planet. Uh, they, they they sort of pigeonholed him, and unfortunately, he didn't care, um, or fortunately, he didn't care. I shouldn't say unfortunately. He didn't give a damn. Uh, he just played what he wanted to play, and of course, the people loved it. And um, he maintained his um, his respect among fellow musicians because everyone thought the world of Illinois Jaquette. John Lewis, who is uh, <laughs> leader of the modern jazz quartet, was once quoted as saying, one of the most underrated musicians in, in jazz was Illinois Jaquette. And in some ways he was because the critics kept dumping on him. Anyway... A recording like this, I have no um, idea why the critics would not like his playing on this particular recording. This was done in October of 1956, um, and at that time, Illinois Joquette was one of the highest-paid sidemen uh, in all of jazz music, and he was playing with jazz at the Philharmonic and, of course, touring with them and recording for Norman Grants. And this particular recording session is one of his finest. Illinois Jaquette on tenor saxophone, Roy Eldridge on trumpet, Jimmy Jones on piano, Ray Brown on bass, Herb Ellis on guitar, and Papa Joe Jones on drums. We're going to hear two tunes from this session. The first one is a tune that everybody knows, and it's played with a great deal of respect and beauty. And the tune is Harlem Nocturne. Most musicians try and vamp this thing and make it sound like a, a tune made for strip teasing, which it was, but not Miss, Mr. Joquette. He plays this and, and delivers the real beauty of this tune, Harlem Nocturne. And we're going to follow that with an up-tempo tune written by him called Achtung, and that's fun too. So two great tunes by Illinois Joquette, beginning with Harlem Nocturne.
Two wonderful tunes from this album called Swings the Thing, recorded in 1956 with an all-star band, led by, of course, a gentleman we're paying a quick tribute to this evening, Illinois Jaquette, born on this day in 1922. Illinois, one of the great tenor saxophonists in the history of jazz. And the two tunes we heard... Uh, the first one was a, a very respectful and very wonderfully sensuous version of Earl Hagen's classic Harlem Nocturne, and then a, an original composition by Illinois Jaquette called Achtung. And the people involved here, Illinois, of course, on tenor saxophone, Roy Eldridge, Little Jazz himself on trumpet, Jimmy Jones on piano, Ray Brown on bass, Herb Ellis on guitar, and Papa Joe Jones on drums. Our final tribute to Monsieur Jaquette is him as a guest with the Count Basie Band, recorded at the Newport Jazz Festival in July of 1957. This was the last tune recorded on Basie's set. And we're going to hear solos here. First of all, the first solo is great in itself. And um, he was totally inspired on, on here to be reunited with Count Basie. And I'm talking about the president, Lester Young. And Lester Young takes the first solo on here, and it's truly one of his inspired moments. Then we have a little trumpet interlude by Joe Newman, who was, uh, of course, a regular in Basie's band at the time. And then Illinois Jaquette takes over on tenor saxophone and delivers one hell of a tenor saxophone solo. Then we hear the other guest of the band, Roy Eldridge, who we just heard uh, on trumpet, and he wraps things up with the Count Basie Orchestra. And, of course, this was the Basie band at the time. Um, I won't go into all the names of the people in the band except the rhythm section, Basie, of course, on piano, Freddie Green on guitar, Eddie Jones on bass, and Papa Joe Jones uh, sitting in on drums. This is kind of interesting, too. Uh, he took over from Basie's regular drummer for this particular performance. And um, you hear him uh, um, encouraging the band with uh, uh, just his playing and, and vocal shouts as well. He's pretty excited about being there. So here is Count Basie and his theme song, the one o'clock jump.
Well, that's called bringing the house down. And, of course, that was the final um, selection on a long set that uh, Count Basie did at Newport Jazz Festival back in 1957 with his great band and some wonderful ex-members and uh, guests uh, who performed with, uh, with Basie and, and his orchestra. We played that as a tribute, as a, a final tribute to the great uh, tenor saxophonist Illinois Jacquette because uh, he took that wonderful solo on that piece, along with um, the, the soloists in the order of appearance. The, uh, the first soloist, of course, was Basie, Basie himself on piano, and then he brought in uh, the president, Lester Young, who was uh, very inspired to be reunited with his old band uh, and played beautifully um, on this and inspired solo. And then a short solo by trumpeter, regular trumpet, uh, trumpeter Joe Newman. Then Illinois Jaquette came in with his incredible solo. And uh, then another brief uh, rhythm section break, and that introduced Little Jazz Roy Eldridge, who wrapped everything up. And, of course, the um, original drummer, performed on here too the original drummer with the Basie band Papa Joe Jones and of course his verbal shouts to everybody in the band he was pretty excited to be playing up there and uh, delivering uh, that great version of Basie's theme song the one o'clock jump all right so that wraps up our tribute to the late great Illinois Jaquette and we're going to bring on another wonderful saxophone player who was born on this day, in 1930, in Denison, Texas, he was Mingus's favorite tenor saxophonist. Mingus really relied on him, not only as a soloist, but for his incredible photographic memory. He could remember uh, parts that Mingus himself had forgotten, and, <laughs> and Booker Irvin would, uh, would remember them and relate them to, uh, to Mingus's band. <laughs> because Mingus at the time was using no written music. Everyone had to memorize their stuff, and it was hard uh, even for the best musicians. Booker Irvin, of course, went on to uh, his own solo career. He still performed off and on with Mingus um, until about the mid-'60s and uh, did a lot of, uh, quite a bit of recording under his own name. The, Booker Irvin died young. He was only 39. He died of uh, kidney uh, illness and um, in 1970, and we lost one of the great individual voices of the tenor saxophone, one of my all-time favorite players. This is an album that's always been close to my heart. This is an album called That's It, and uh, it's from January of 1961. Booker Irvin on tenor saxophone, Horace Parlin on piano, George Tucker on bass, and the great Al Harewood on drums, and... This album was issued on Candid Records, and uh, it's always ranked very high with me uh, as one of Booker's finest albums. This is his own composition called Mojo, Booker Irvin.
Booker Irvin, the gentleman we're paying tribute to right now, a great tenor saxophonist, very individual stylist, and that was from a wonderful album that he did that kind of put Booker on the map in terms of um, a solo uh, artist, uh, even though it was recorded for a small label, which was Candid Records, it became quite a classic. And, of course, there was lots of Booker Urban with Charles Mingus, and that's how most people uh, were introduced to Booker. But this album was kind of a, a milestone in his recorded career. Recorded in early January of 1961, Booker Urban with Horace Parlin on piano, George Tucker on bass, and Al Harewood on drums, and that was Booker's composition called Mojo. And... We're going to move now to a, a slightly later album the Booker recorded for Prestige. And I particularly like this tune, and I like the pianist on here who's um, a rather overlooked individual. His name is Gildo Mahoney's. And uh, here's Booker Irvin on tenor saxophone with uh, Carmel Jones on trumpet, uh, Gildo Mahoney's on piano, Richard Davis on bass, and Alan Dawson on drums, and this is a, a composition by Booker Irvin, and um, it's kind of a, a snaky um, blues piece, and it, it's from an album called The Blues Book. This one's called Eerie Deary. Thank you. 
a nice long stretch out piece from an album uh, by Booker Irvin called The Blues Book, recorded in 1964 with a quintet. And that piece of music was a Booker Irvin composition called Eerie Deary, kind of a snaky blues. And it featured, of course, Booker Irvin, the gentleman we're paying tribute to on tenor saxophone, Carmel Jones on trumpet, Gildo Mahoney's on piano, Richard Davis on bass, and Alan Dawson on drums. Eerie Deary. And uh, Booker Irvin, of course, born on Halloween in 1930, died in 1970, sad to say, only 39 years old from uh, kidney ailment. One of the most distinctive voices on the modern tenor saxophone. We're going to uh, go to an album that Booker, uh, to to uh, finish the jazz show this evening and uh, finish our tribute to Booker Irvin. We'll play three tunes from an album called Structurally Sound. This was recorded on the West Coast. Booker um, appeared uh, at the uh, 1966 um, Monterey Jazz Festival in September. Uh, I heard him and, and met him at that time um, because I was there, and uh, he was playing with Randy Weston's band, and he stayed on for a couple of months out in Los Angeles and uh, recorded this album for a Pacific Jazz record. And uh, it's a bit of a rare item, and there's some really nice stuff on here. And also living out in Los Angeles at the time was Charles Tolliver, wonderful and very underrated trumpeter. So Booker and Charles Tolliver got together with John Hicks at the on piano, Red Mitchell, the great uh, bassist from Los Angeles, and Lenny McBrown on drums. And... We're going to hear three tunes. Uh, the first tune we're going to hear is a very famous one written by Oliver Nelson, and it's called Stolen Moments. Um, then we're going to move to a ballad, which features uh, Booker Irvin, and it's a, a rarely played tune, but uh, just a really, really nice melody. The tune is called Deep Night, and uh, we're going to end the set with a Booker Irvin up-tempo composition called Booze Blues. So here then, to uh, start this set, all of this was recorded in, uh, in December of 1966 in Los Angeles. And we're going to begin with Stolen Moments. Booker Irvin. We're going to get the right tune this time, Stolen Moments. Uh, that wasn't the right tune, but I'll just switch. Here we go.
A final tribute to the great late Booker Irvin, who, of course, as I mentioned before, was born in 1930 in Denison, Texas, and he was born on Halloween and passed away, at a, unfortunately, at a young age, 39, uh, ill health and uh, had a kidney, kidney ailment, and uh, we, he left us far too soon. This, uh, these three tunes we heard f were from a recording session that he did when he was living briefly in Los Angeles, and it was recorded December of 1966 for Pacific Jazz Records. And Booker was hooked up with uh, Charles Tolliver, who was also um, an Easterner living in Los Angeles uh, for a short time. Wonderful trumpet player. John Hicks on piano, Red Mitchell on bass, and Lenny McBrown on drums. And the album is called Structurally Sound. And we heard three tunes uh, from that album. First one was a, a very famous composition by Oliver Nelson, Stolen Moments. The second tune uh, was without the trumpet, but uh, Booker was in the lead on a beautiful ballad called Deep Night. Not very often played. Lovely tune. And the final tune was Booker Irvin's uh, rather simple straight-ahead blues called Booze Blues. And um, that's it for Booker Irvin this evening. And, of course, he's always welcome on the show. And... Uh, that's the, another edition of The Jazz Show. It's now November 1st. Halloween is over. The firecrackers go on, <laughs> and they'll probably go on all through the night. But uh, there you go. I hope you had a nice Halloween, and I hope uh, those of you that listened to the show this evening enjoyed uh, what you heard, and we'll be back next week, same time, same station with uh, another edition of The Jazz Show. We uh, will see you in seven days' time. So thank you again for listening. On behalf of myself, Gavin Walker, uh, CITR at 101.9 on your FM dial or on your computer, www.citr.ca. So take care, and we'll see you in seven days' time. Bye-bye. Do but do.